Here we are at the beginning of a new year and at the beginning of an entirely new course of scriptural study. But not so fast. Before we jump right in and start reading the scriptures, our first lesson is titled, We Are Responsible for Our Own Learning. In what way are we responsible? Well, it turns out that responsibility has a name. In this particular case, the responsibility is called the same as the course of study itself, the New Testament. I'm Mark Holt, and this is Gospel Doctrine. Welcome to Gospel Doctrine. At this exciting time when we are beginning to study the New Testament and in a, in a year when we really are taking responsibility for our own learning and hopefully you, like me, are very excited to begin a, a home-centered, church-supported study of the Scriptures. And what better way to begin than by talking about our responsibility itself. Now, uh, the way I began this, this episode was by naming our responsibility. What did I mean by that? So what, what does it mean to say that our responsibility has a name? You may have learned at some point that the word testament means covenant. So we're going to talk in this episode, we're, this isn't going to be the longest of episodes because basically we're just talking about our responsibilities to study the scriptures. But uh, the Old Testament, we're going to talk about what that actually meant. What was the covenant that was covered in the book we know as the Old Testament? What does the New Testament actually mean? Uh, and we, that's a question we won't fully answer today, and hopefully we'll, we'll get a partial answer next time. Um, but the first thing we're going to talk about is a little bit, believe it or not, we're going to talk about the Old Testament that we've been talking about for a year. Because um, the, old, the New Testament starts out in at least three of the Gospels by referring to the Old. And... I suppose there are probably some of you who have been listening to the podcast all along, haven't missed an episode, but by and large, you're mostly made up of people who have joined us as we've gone along. So uh, what exactly is the covenant or the testament that the Old Testament refers to? First of all, uh, Jesus and everyone who ever met him would have had one set of scriptures only. They would have had what we know today or that or Jews today would call the Bible or what we would call the Hebrew Bible or the Tanakh, meaning the TNK, the the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ketuvim. Uh, in in Hebrew, words are quite easily turned into acronyms because there are no consonants anyway, and so uh, any sort of acronym is easily turned into a word itself. So a lot of times, Jews will call the scriptures the Tanakh, or sim- in English, simply the Hebrew scriptures. And it was um, at, when I. When I decided to become a writer, one of the most surprising things that I learned was that the act of assigning a title to a book is an act of marketing. I, I, I suppose it's obvious in retrospect, but at the time I thought it's the author that chooses the title of a book, and that's actually not true. It's the publisher. What happens is the publisher buys a manuscript and decides this manuscript is going to appeal to a certain audience, and then they do some research to say, what does that audience want to read about? And it's the marketing experts that work for the publisher that say, okay, here's going to be the title of this book. And the cover itself and the title, everything on the cover, the little blurb on the back, they're all done by marketing experts and not the author itself. And it's actually, believe it or not, 
Uh, it's actually similar with the Bible. So Christian missionaries, people who believed in Jesus Christ, t- took a look at all of the compiled works that described Christ and described the philosophies of those who followed him and said, what are we going to call this? We're, we're, we need to put it on the same level as the Tanakh. We need, to, we need to have people feel about it the same way they feel about reading the writings of Moses and the writings of Isaiah. And so these ancient marketing experts, if you will, they, they decided that the, the Tanakh, as they had them, the Hebrew scriptures, described a covenant, described a series of covenants with the people of Israel, with the ancient Jews. And that as important as those covenants were, they were on the, the, the covenants that Jesus exposed and taught us about and expressed were on the same level were of importance, if not more so. And therefore, they called it the New Testament. And, they, and that it's only Christians that call the Tanakh the Old Testament. And so the word New Testament was in contrast to the Old Testament. And Jesus even said, you know, you've heard, it, you've heard that it is said by them of olden time, uh, do not kill, but I say this, right? That's an example of uh, the contrast between the New Testament and the Old. And so in order to answer the question, what is our responsibility towards the New Testament? Um, the first thing we have to answer is, well, what is the New Testament? What is the covenant that it describes? And what is the covenant... In order to answer that question, we we first talk about what is the covenant that the Old Testament describes. Well, there are a number of important covenants in the Old Testament, and they might a few of them might be coming to your mind. The first that probably nobody is thinking of is what's known as the Noahide covenant, and that is a covenant God made with Noah where he will not destroy the earth again. Uh, another covenant is the Abrahamic covenant, which says that which gives to Abraham the promise that by his lineage, by his seed, shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. And then there's the Mosaic Covenant, or the covenant with the children of Israel by Mount Sinai, where God said to the collected nations of Israel, first of all, he he gave to them the Ten Commandments, and then he said, I will make you a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This was God's covenant to the entire nation of Israel. I'm going to use you as an example to the world of what happens when people obey my law. And this is why the Jews see themselves as a chosen people, is because God said this to them. They made this Mosaic covenant with them. And finally, the Davidic covenant is probably, those are probably the four major covenants that God made with people. And the Davidic covenant was to David, there will not lack from your line a king on the throne of Israel. And this this covenant had a couple of aspects. Obviously, it has an earthly aspect of rule, but it also uh, was very clearly meant to refer to a chosen king that would bring the the age of Israel or bring the, the nation and people of Israel into a golden age where God himself was in charge through this Davidic king, through this messianic king. So those are the major covenants of the Old Testament. And you could debate which of them actually describes the Old Testament, but it seems that the, the destiny of the people of Israel is most clearly defined either in the Abrahamic Covenant or the Mosaic Covenant. So let's talk about the Abrahamic Covenant. By the, in, in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. And that includes the Messiah, but it also includes 
the Mosaic Covenant, the, the Abrahamic Covenant is probably the most inclusive, right? So the people of Israel see their, their destiny as being defined by this covenant with Abraham, that they are to go forth and be an example to the world, and also through them, the, the Messiah will be descended and he will come. And when the Messiah comes, as we read many times throughout the prophets of the Old Testament, the, the earth will be blessed God himself will be in charge. There will be sort of a theocracy on earth, but not a the- not a uh, repressive or oppressive theocracy, but one where everyone is able to live to their full potential and there's true peace and, and love and harmony. So that's the Old Testament. And why... Why is it that the, why did I say at the beginning that the name of our responsibility to study the scriptures is the same as the scripture itself? Well, if you, re, if you remember in the uh, Doctrine and Covenants, in section 84, the Book of Mormon is referred to as the New Covenant. Uh, verse 57, they, the, the people are described, the people of the church, the Latter-day Saints are described as being under condemnation until they repent and remember their New Covenant, which is the Book of Mormon, and the former commandments. So, the, the book itself, the scriptures themselves, represent a covenant. And what, what is the covenant of the Book of Mormon? I believe what God is referring to in section 84, verse 57, is that we have a responsibility as Latter-day Saints to learn and to follow what is written in the Book of Mormon. That is the covenant. The Book of Mormon itself is a covenant. That's why it's called another testament of Jesus Christ. The word testament means covenant. So, If that's true about the Book of Mormon, it's definitely true about the New Testament. Therefore, as we study, it it seems to me the central question that we want to answer in a lesson called We Are Responsible for Our Own Learning is, what are we responsible to learn? That is the question, what is the New Testament? What is our covenant that has to do with the New Testament? They're one and the same question. So, we've discussed a little bit about what the Old Testament is, and what we want to do is understand how Jesus changed that and what what additional uh, insight he brought into what the Old Testament means. So the first thing we're going to do is open up to, the, to Luke chapter 1. And, we're, and the first four uh, verses of the book of Luke are almost unique in Scripture. It's the author of the book saying, Hey, everybody, by the way, you who are reading... Here's who I am, and here's what I set out to do. And the book of Luke is is almost a is almost like a letter. It's addressed to a man named Theophilus, and um, Theophilus in Greek simply means lover of God. So it's been theorized that that's just a, a, a name for anybody who loves God. And so, it you the reader are a lover of God, then this letter is addressed to you. It also might be the person who funded Luke's research. And Luke describes in these, in these four verses his process that he, he basically had to travel all over the land of Judea and Samaria and what is, what is ancient Israel and gather these eyewitness accounts and put them together in one book. And so it's also theorized that Theophilus is the person who, who funded, the, the patron who funded Luke, who is somebody who wants to know whether or not everything he's read about Christ is true. And so Luke set out to write another gospel, and he said, there, there's, a, there's been a lot of accounts, there's been a lot of work done along these lines, or as Luke puts it, uh, many have undertaken, in verse 1, many have undertaken to drop an account of these things, 
that have been fulfilled among us. And what does he mean by fulfilled? This is Luke referring to, or as in as it is in uh, these things that are most surely believed among us. But um, the the new inspired version has uh, fulfilled among us. So a more accurate translation tells us that Luke believed that Jesus Christ, what, what he's saying is Jesus came into the world to fulfill what was promised by the Old Testament. And what are, what are some of those promises? Well, the Davidic covenant is one of them. So God made specific promises to David. And he said, David, there's going to be, a, not only are there always going to be kings, but there's going to be one king that's going to be very special. And Isaiah promised that a virgin would conceive and bear a son. She would call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, throughout the books of Joel, throughout the books of Amos, throughout the books of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Ezekiel they keep bringing up this idea of a servant, of a of a of the the king of David or David the king from David's line who is going to come and bring Israel to a new understanding there's a new Jerusalem a new heart that God will fix the heart of his people all of these things are a covenant that God made with ancient Israel and saying he's going to fulfill it somehow through somebody from David's line in other words the old testament is almost like a cliffhanger and it is a, a story left incomplete with a dangling ending that nobody knows how it finished. And so that's what Luke's referring to. In verse 1 of Luke, he's saying, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. In other words, that Jesus came into the world and finished the Old Testament. He is the fulfillment of all of these promises that were left hanging. In verse 2, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Now, that's an interesting phrase, servants of the word. What does it mean? Uh, you know, there's an interesting set of, what, series of scholarship uh, that has occurred in the past 60 years, say, which tells us that uh, the, the way that oral cultures preserve this kind of thing is, first of all, uh, Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his ministry, about 34 years old, 33 or 34, when he was killed. And then the Gospels were written maybe 20, maybe 30, maybe as many as 50 years after that. So what was happening this whole time? Well, if you, could, if you think about how word gets around today, for example, um, if anybody has ever been a tourist to a place that is well known for a historical event, Let's say, for example, a, um, the beaches of Normandy, or better yet, uh, a place where a famous movie was filmed. If you go to that place, you will find other tourists who are also wanting to see the same thing. And the chances are there will be some local who has decided that it's worthwhile to hang out by that spot and tell the story over and over again. And Obviously, in our culture, we could read about it on the internet, we could read a book about it because we're a literate culture, but in an oral culture, the only way you'd get this story is by talking to somebody who saw it. And that's what a servant of the word is. In fact, uh, in, a, in a small town where Jesus passed through, let's say, and there were a number of eyewitnesses, one of them would have been found to be more reliable than the others, who remembered it better, was more, and of course, a better storyteller, more entertaining 
And this person would be called the servant of the word. And there may be more than one, and they keep, they keep each other accurate and in check. And so what Luke saw as his duty was to travel all over the ancient uh, Israelite world and collect these individual accounts of the life of Jesus. Uh, it does seem that Luke already had access to the book of Mark. So the gospel of Mark would have been the first gospel written, and then Luke and Matthew used that account. There, there does seem to be evidence, at least, that Luke and Matthew used that account to build theirs. But in any case, what Luke is saying is, those of us who understand Jesus know that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. This, these, all of these covenants with, between God and the ancient house of Israel, which to them even then was ancient, they have their fulfillment in Jesus of Nazareth. Now, I said a little bit earlier that the words the New Testament were some Christian's idea of marketing something that they would call a book of scripture, a, comp- a compilation of scripture, in order to tie it to the what they would then term the Old Testament. Well, it's partially true, but these, these are also words of Jesus's. So in uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 20, Jesus says, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. And somebody took that phrase and used it as the title for the entire work of scripture. It was, it was a brilliant... Um, you know, marketing perhaps isn't the right term, but in our in our age, I think in our day and age, I think it actually is an appropriate way of of saying that. Um, but this is a quote from Jesus. He said, "This cup is the New Testament." So, a lot of you are probably thinking, "Okay, the New Covenant then is the sacrament because that is that is the covenant that Jesus instituted." And in one sense, that's correct, but I'm not talking about... So the question I'm asking isn't, what uh, what covenant did Jesus institute, or what priesthood ordinance are we talking about? And, and I'm not even talking about a particular covenant that we make as part of the gospel. What I'm saying is, what is it that we learn in the New Testament that would be the equivalent of what God said about the Book of Mormon in D&C 84? And what he said was, everybody's neglecting this new covenant, which is the Book of Mormon. In other words, they're neglecting the gospel that they learn in the Book of Mormon. There's a set of teachings that you could express that people are missing out on by not reading it. So if we were to not read the New Testament, what would we be missing out on? What what pieces of knowledge would we give up? So yes, this, the sacrament is a symbol of that covenant. But what is that covenant? And uh, I'm not going to answer that question today. In fact, I would like um, as many of you as possible to chime in and to, to write an email to gt at gospeltoctrine.com. Let me know what you think the answer is. I don't think there's one correct answer. I think there are probably dozens. But there are some answers that are, uh, that are more obvious than others. So I'd, I'd like to get uh, a number of suggested answers. What is the New Testament? What is the collection of knowledge? How would you, how would you, in a, just a few sentences, express what it is that we learn from not only the, the four Gospels, the book of Acts, but all of the epistles and the book of Revelation? Do you, do you think you could sum that up by saying something about Jesus? Obviously, it's going to be centered around Jesus Christ. And as I said, there's not one single answer, probably, But whatever the answer is, 
that's the covenant that we are responsible to keep. So in the title of this lesson, which isn't mine, by the way, this is, this is our new uh, Come Follow Me manual. This is the, first, the title of the first lesson. We are responsible for our own learning. What are we responsible for as regarding the, the New Testament? Uh, whatever the answer is, whatever the covenant is in the, in the New Testament itself, that's the, that's the covenant we're responsible to keep. So figuring that out is a good idea for all of us. Knowing what it is that our covenant is would be very important. Now, one of the important concepts from the uh, manual this week, the lesson in the manual is actually quite short, but one of the things that I really like about it is uh, the section on the parable of the sower. And I did a little research on this parable in general conference, and it turns out this is a very common concept to be taught in general conference is this exact parable. And quite often it's called the parable of the soil. So a sower is somebody who sows seed in a, in a field. But, but what this parable is really about are, are the different kinds of soil that it lands in. This uh, has been most recently taught in April conference of 2015 by President Oaks. And one of the interesting things about this parable is, well, first of all, it would seem to be a story of how to diagnose when you, when you figure out that a plant grew well or grew poorly, then the parable of the sower would tell you how to diagnose what's going on, what went wrong or what went right. And Jesus even explains to us, the, the sower is like somebody who preaches the word, and when the plant grows up quickly, that is and then is choked off, that is somebody who hears the word and rejoices in it at first, but then there's difficulties. And because of the problems of the world, because of the cares of the world, they let it go. Or maybe it falls on stony ground and never grows up at all, or it's choked off, or the birds eat it. So different things happen to the seed by, in other words, happen to the word, depending on where it lands, depending on what kind of soil it lands in. And so the surface interpretation of this parable just by just by listening to it, if you weren't one of Jesus's disciples that he explained it to, you would think, okay, I can I can diagnose what went wrong, but with this plant by figuring out what kind of soil it landed in, and I could diagnose what went wrong with the the word by looking at exactly how they responded to that word. But the the actual lesson is the inverse. We get to choose. So it's not it's not that we use the parable after the fact, to see, oh, what kind of ground was I? The point of the parable is we get to choose what kind of soil we were. And that's the power of the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils. You listen to this and one kind of soil, the good ground, yields fruit and yields fruit maybe 20-fold, maybe 40-fold, maybe 100-fold, depending on how the faith and the attention given to it. And it's interesting that Alma also in his parable of the seed, he compared the word to a seed and he compared us to the people who are giving care to this seed. But it's very, very similar in his, in his metaphor. How this seed grows is a direct reflection of the kind of soil we are or the amount of care we give to it. We, we see the fruit through our faith. And Jesus meant the same thing. He meant, you get to choose what kind of soil you are. Do you want to be the good ground? Which do you want to be? Do you want to be the stony ground? 
How, what blessings do you want? Do you want to see the fruit of the word or do you want the, that fruit, that blessing to get choked off? And again and again, in general conference throughout the last probably three decades, several of the general authorities have spoken of this parable and made, made plain that the message is that we get to choose what kind of soil we are. And that choice is inseparably connected with the results of our receiving God's word. So what kind of results do we want? And what, what are the blessings that we want from this covenant that is the scriptures that we have? Every, every work, every standard work of scripture is a covenant for us that we will learn the central lesson of that work of scripture and apply it in our lives. One of the, one of the blessings that God promises over and over again in the Old Testament is that he will write, he will take the children of Israel and in the latter days he will write the word, he will write his law. And the word for law is Torah. And if you remember us studying the first five books of Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament, those five books are called the Torah. So he will write his law in the hearts of the people, in the hearts of his saints in the latter days. So he's this, this scripture, this promise, this covenant of God can be interpreted in more than one way. It can be interpreted that God will write his scriptures on our hearts in the latter days. And how does he do that? Does God ever force anything on any of us? No. If we're willing to choose to take on the covenant that is represented by the scriptures, then and we and we allow God to write this law, write this Torah on our hearts, then we're fulfilling the covenant, and that's when we see the blessings a hundredfold. So I pray, number one, we'll be able to identify what is the New Testament, what is the covenant that we make in relation to this book of scriptures, and number two, how do we keep it? That's the task we have before us as we begin the study of the standard work that contains the story of the life and the ministry of our Savior Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. This has been Gospel Doctrine, a nonprofit podcast hosted and produced by Mark Holt with bumper music by Kendra Lowe. Gospel Doctrine is not affiliated with nor endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. 